And this is Changing the Narrative. I'm David Reeves, and I'm joined today by Dr. Grady McMurtry. How are you doing today? Excellent, sir. The better for being with you. Uh, well, it is great to have you up here. Now, you're based out of Florida, is that correct? Or- Orlando, Florida. Orlando, Florida. But you happen to be in the area speaking? Yes, I'm going to be speaking in Franklin and also up in Nashville. Okay. Uh, Dr. Grady McMurtry, you're not a medical doctor. No, I have a DD in Christian apologetics and a doctor lit above that. Okay, well that's great. Uh, tell me just a little bit about some of the things that you're passionate about sharing with others. Well, I'm passionate about creation science. Yeah. Uh, I used to be an evolutionist. I uh, was a trained evolutionist, born in San Francisco, of all things, if wow. you can imagine. <laughs> Raised on the campus at UC Berkeley. Oh wow. Uh, learned evolution as a child, and indeed, when I was not learning about evolution in the public school system, which is all they taught in California in the 1950s, yeah. you know, already, um, I used to spend my time in the paleontology laboratories at Cal Berkeley, Okay, and I was learning about dinosaurs, fossils, evolutionary theory from PhDs when I was only in grade school. And by the time I hit the eighth grade, they were already, excuse me, I should say, by the time I hit the third grade, when I was eight years old, mm-hmm. uh, they were already borrowing me from one class to the other to teach the other children about dinosaurs, fossils, and evolutionary theory because I knew more about it than the teachers did. Wow. And so I had a very early start as an evolutionist. So I, I believed it. I taught it. But I was not militant. I think there's a difference there. Uh, but I believed that evolution was true. And if evolution was true, uh, then creation was not. Uh, God, for me, was not uh, atheism. It was more of an agnosticism. Mm -hmm. That if evolution was true, then God was irrelevant. He was not involved in any way. But at the age of 27, as any good scientist should do, in a search for truth, I became a Christian. Hmm. And today, I, I really believe that given enough time, and, of course, that depends upon other factors I can't control. But given enough time, any scientist who's genuinely seeking truth will become a Christian. That's a very legitimate point. Uh, you know, this podcast is called Changing the Narrative because the narrative has been set for approximately over the last 100 years, certainly. And that narrative is that to be an intellectual, you have to reject the thought that there might be a God. And that narrative is espoused by most scientists today, unfortunately. But in my opinion, what we see here is a blind faith in in scientific facts that have been interpreted in a certain way. Well, creationists and evolutionists have the same evidence. We have two different interpretations. But I don't think it's so much a blind faith. I think it is very religious. As a matter of fact, I think evolutionists are the greatest religion people in the world because they believe in a religion that's based in nothing mm. except their personal opinion. And the real question becomes not why do evolutionists believe in evolution because obviously there was a time when I did. There was a time when I taught it. If you think about the, the methodologies by which they sell this deception of evolution, there's an appearance of rationality. There's an appearance of plausibility. There's an appearance of logic. That's true. However, that's only on the surface. When you dig deep, I have to point out that evolution is irrational, unreasonable, illogical, and unscientific. Hmm. That, in fact, Christianity, when we take a look at religion, is the only rational, reasonable, logical, evidence-based religion in the world. 
And that's also a very good point. Uh, I might add to that that Christianity has a a reasoned and evidenced base uh, is a reasoned and evidence based faith. But in addition, it has an historical document that has stood the test of time. And that historical document, if it is what it claims to be, is God's word. It was actually divinely inspired to those random individuals who weren't random who wrote the Bible. And therefore, if it is inspired by the creator of the universe, then it should be scientifically accurate, historically accurate, prophetically accurate, accurate when it comes to the gospel message. That's correct. So when we realize that we do have accurate historical records since the beginning of the universe written by the creator of the universe, then that puts an even more evidence-based faith in the hands of Christianity. Correct. And in fact, in becoming a Christian, uh, as a, a prior evolutionist, um, I had had Christians around me all the time. Uh, you know, I had had them walk in front of me, try to witness to me. Um, but as, as I think you agree, the Holy Spirit is a perfect fisherman. Yeah. And he always uses the right bait. That's right. And so uh, while there had been Christians in my life that had attempted to reach me, they'd always been using the wrong bait. Okay. Because for me, the bait was the intellect. Yes. And so uh, at the age of 27, in a story somewhat similar to, say, a C.S. Lewis or Josh McDowell, mm-hmm. um, I decided to decide for myself whether Jesus was the Savior, the, the Lord, uh, Son of God, mm-hmm. or not, because I had had this. I mean, you have to realize I'm 75 years old. Mm-hmm. And being raised as a child, early baby boomer, 46, um, growing up in late 40s, 50s, 60s in the United States, you could not live here in the United States mm-hmm. without knowing the basic tenets of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Not that you accepted them, right. but you knew them. And, and the church was very obvious at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, today, the church through apathy is no longer that witness. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I decided to decide for myself. And so I used my intellectual scholastic skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, looked at the claims not only of Christ, but I went on to read the Bible for the first time, realized that the four Gospels were really legal depositions. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go on to take a look at outside histories because there's roughly a dozen historians who do record Jesus Christ um, and, in one way or another. Yeah. So it isn't just the Bible. We have outside witnesses as well. That's correct. You know, And so what happened was, after a period of six months of diligent academic scholastic analysis of Christianity, I came to the conclusion that Jesus was telling the truth. Hmm. And if you're going to be a seeker of truth, and, and again, I've been seeking truth since I was born. Uh, I like to say it that way, because I thought I had found truth in evolution. Came to realize I had not. Mm-hmm. But because I was willing to learn, I was willing to change. Yes. And, you know, if you're not willing to learn, you'll never be willing to change. It's really quite simple. Mm-hmm. And, but because I was willing to learn, I was willing to change. And when I found the truth, and what happened was I found that truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. Hmm. If you take a look at John 14, 6, mm-hmm. Jesus talks about the way, the life, and the truth. That's but right. notice he says, I am. Mm-hmm. And whenever you find a sentence that's abbreviated that way, whenever you take take a statement and apply it to several statements in a series of commas, you've got to look at that like a dry sponge. If you want to see it full size, you've got to add water. Uh-huh. 
right? Uh-huh. And if you add water to John 14, 6, he says, I am the truth. That's a person, mm-hmm. not a concept. And so by myself in a room, because remember, I had no... I had no human really guiding me here. Now, I realized the Holy Spirit was guiding me, but I didn't realize it at the time. Sure. Uh, but I had no human saying, well, read this and do that and so forth. And so in a room by myself, I made an intellectual decision to become a Christian. Hmm. You know, uh, it doesn't require anything other than a decision. Yeah. But I knew so little about Christianity that I actually made an appointment with an associate pastor who didn't know me at a local church who was a fairly large church, but nonetheless, um, he accepted that I would come in and talk with him. Mm-hmm. I explained the story a little longer detail, and um, I asked him the question, is there anything else I'm supposed to do? You know, as a scientist, we're kind of looking for a checklist at the back of the book, Yeah. right? <laughs> And so since there's no checklist, mm-hmm. you know, you have to ask yourself, well, is there anything else I need to do? I knew so little about Christianity. And he looked at me and he said, so your decision is firm. And I looked back at him and said, if you knew me, you wouldn't ask that question. Mm-hmm. And that kind of took him back. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of sat back a little bit because he never had anybody say that to him before. And he said, okay. And then he opened up the Bible and says, you need to make it public. And he showed me verses. And he, you need to be baptized. And he opened up the Bible and showed me and I said, fair enough. And the next weekend, I made it public. And a few weeks later, I was baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, but that just made me a saved evolutionist. <laughs> right. If, if you think about it. You right. Know? So I got a problem. Right. And so since I'm smart enough to know I have a problem, I went on to spend 16 more months analyzing uh, had God used evolution to create? Was what I had learned and taught others okay? Mm-hmm. Or was it wrong? Yeah. And that you really could trust the Bible and the science, that it was all created in six rotations of the earth, you know, standard days like today, and approximately 6,000 years ago. Now, it was a little easier to say that in the year 2000, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but approximately 6,000 years approximately, ago. Approximately, yeah. So let's let's pause for a second and just go back. So it was. It was intellect which brought you to know Christ. Yeah. Everybody comes to Christ in a spectrum. Yeah. Because there's a spectrum from 100% intellectual to 100% emotional. Yes. And nobody comes either way. Mm-hmm. It's always a spectrum. It's It would maybe 60, 40, 70, 30, you know, 80, 20. For me, I talk about it being 98% intellectual and 2% <laughs> emotional. <laughs> Okay. But, but there's but 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 you know you've you've talked about seeing people whatever run down an aisle to get saved. It's yeah. all you know ninety eight percent emotion. Right. But they had to make a decision to run down the aisle. That's exactly right. Right. That's right. And I come from the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Now today there are so many atheists who they call themselves intellectual atheists, and they believe they have justified atheism because they've explained everything in the scientific and the natural world, and they need no creator. They need no God, right? And see, I believe that these people are very intelligent, and maybe we have some listening right now, and they're wondering, they're like, so they're connecting with your story, because you see, you were actually studying these things. And as an intellectual, you realized that there's more to this story than you were being told. Well, you see, many people censure themselves from a source of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And these are people who want to make everything mechanistic, 
um, believing in eternal mass, energy, and time, the god of random chance, that somehow or another from chaos you can create complexity. Right. But everything in science screams that that's wrong. Everything in science screams that what we see is that there was a perfect creation that due to human sin, there was a degrading process which started. Today we call that entropy. Mm-hmm. But not only entropy within the basic physical realm, but also entropy within our own spiritual walk. Okay. That people have an individual spirit. And so we all inherit this Adamic sin nature. Okay. So those people who consider themselves to be intellectual are only looking at the natural. Mm-hmm. And they're not looking at the supernatural. Now, there are people who are going to be intellectual who say, well, there is no such thing as the supernatural. But let, let's, let's define the word supernatural scientifically yeah. because there is a scientific definition of the supernatural. Mm-hmm. If I use the word supersonic, it would simply mean something that goes beyond the speed of sound, correct? Correct. Well, in the same way, supernatural simply means something that goes beyond nature. Yeah. It's beyond the realm of the natural world. Right. And so if you... If you think about it and you refuse to learn about the supernatural, you are actually negating a source of knowledge. Yes. And so when a person who is truly an intellectual understands that there's really two sources, the natural and the supernatural sources of information, they're much wiser. Yeah. Much wiser. Well, because when we look at, let's just say, the origin of the universe, uh, we realize that Based on natural laws, the universe could not have originated. So that doesn't mean that the universe isn't here right now or that we're in some type of a matrix, right? What it really means is that if the universe cannot be produced in the natural world, then the universe must have been produced in the supernatural world, beyond nature. And that, again, actually... Uh, is a major evidence for Christianity because you have to find someone outside of the natural world, somebody beyond the universe, who is able to not only create matter from nothing, but also is able to step into that creation that he made. Hello, I'm David Reeves, host of Wonders Without Number. In each episode, we talk about breaking discoveries in science, which reveal that our Creator, the God of the Bible, has left a pattern of His fingerprints throughout the universe. Check out our other resources at davidreeves.com. Sign up for email updates to have encouraging nuggets sent straight to your inbox. Subscribe to our free monthly magazine and like us on Facebook for daily inspiration and education regarding science and the Bible. The very first word of the Bible in Hebrew is Bereshit. And it does not mean in the beginning, the typical English translation that we're so used to. It actually means at the beginning. Okay. And this is when God created time. Now, of course, the Hebrew word order is different than the English word order. But uh, in the English Bible, we would say at the beginning, Mm -hmm. God. Now, actually, in Hebrew, it's at the beginning created by God. Created God, yeah. Uh, be created, but God being the creator, yes. the, the verb coming out head. Um, so at the beginning, God creates time. Because if you don't have time, you've got nothing to record. Yes. Then that word create is the root bara, which means out of nothing. That he spoke mass and energy into existence where there was nothing previously existing. Mm-hmm. God, Elohim in Hebrew, 
refers to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The triune God was there at the beginning. And then it says heavens, mm-hmm. shamayim, mm-hmm. which is plural. And in Christianity, we have three heavens. Uh, on day three, God says that the earth's crust, the surface we're walking on is heaven number one in a perfect creation. Mm-hmm. It's heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. The second is referred to in Revelation fourteen six, And the third, of course, when we, we talk about the apostle, went to God's heaven, third heaven. The third heaven, yeah. Um, but that's space. Yes. Okay. So that yeah, why, heavens, why would notice, notice yeah notice the the perfect order of creation too. This is exactly what you would expect a perfect scientist to do. Mm-hmm. You had to create time first in order to have something to record. Mm-hmm. Had to create space second to have a place to put something. Okay. And then the earth, which is matter. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, uh, because people don't read the ancient languages, they don't realize there's no punctuation. There's no period at the end of verse one. So, what many theologians do, or some theologians do, is they pause it right there. And then they say, vast periods of time must have passed. And then we get to Genesis 2, where it says that the earth is in this chaotic state. But that's not, that not what, what the, the passage says, says in Hebrew. If we go back to Isaiah 45, we realize that Isaiah 45 in the Hebraic language is using the exact same words. And it doesn't mean chaotic uh, and yes. ruinous, it means uninhabited. In other words, what it's telling us is that the earth is in an uninhabited state, and it's in an, a disorganized state because God has not yet placed it the way it should be. Well, I wouldn't even call it disorganized because the sentence continues through verse 2. That's where the first period should be is in verse 2. And you know that in the English language because we say and. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. God created time, space, and matter, and the earth was a state of being at the time of creation. Tohu vabuhu. Now, that is typically translated things like formless and void or formless and empty. Uh, But it does not mean chaotic, and it doesn't really mean disorganized. What it really means is unformed and unfilled. And the Bible talks about God as the potter and we're the clay, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. So God created the earth kind of like a lump of clay, and he will take three days basically to finish the forming and three days to finish the filling. Okay. And so that's really what it's talking about in the verbs there. Okay. So there's no gap. There's no time there. Um, I produced a video on the, the reasons why any old earth view, but particularly the gap theory, mm-hmm. uh, framework theory, allegory theory, day age theory, but primarily the gap theory is not true. It's and not acceptable theologically. Now, now this is an important point, and let's just stick on this for another 30 seconds, because the only reason that we would tend to lean towards a gap theory or some type of theistic evolution would be to accommodate millions and billions of years of universal history. And yet... As an intellectual, you've studied this. We realize that we do not need millions and billions of years of universal history to get where we are today. In fact, billions of years of universal history simply can't be condoned scientifically unless we twist it, the it, facts. It cannot be because of geochronometers, exactly. as, you, as you all know. But I want to stress something. Even, even if the Earth and the universe were billions of years old, which is not true, but even if it were, the gap theory, we have to fill that in 
because that is a concept that life has existed for millions of years, mm. not just the cosmos. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So any old Earth view theory is saying that life has existed for a very long time. Now, what is the only reason you would want to do that is to believe that life and death have been going on for millions and billions of years. Now, if that is true, you negate the power of the cross. Hmm. You see, any any Christian who believes in an old earth view, old universe view, is negating the power of the cross, though I'm not saying they do it intentionally. I'm not saying no. that they even understand what they're doing. I'm simply standing that's what they're doing. Right. And so they have to come to understand, and we need to lovingly correct those that have an old earth view. And somebody who has an old earth can go to heaven. That's not the salvation issue. I want to stipulate that up front. But... When you say that life and death of an fresh organism has been going on for millions and billions of years, you're negating the power of the cross. Yes. Now, Paul is very specific when he writes that it's through the sin of the first man, Adam, mm-hmm. that death came into the universe, that, that death is a consequence of human sin. Of human sin. That, de- that the sin of Adam is the causative agent for the death of an fresh organism. Now, we have to define nefesh mm-hmm. for people who are not familiar with that. Mm-hmm. But it's life, soul, blood. And the soul is the intellect and emotion and the will. And therefore, we find this in Genesis 2, 7, Mm -hmm. when God makes the body of the man from previously existing materials that he has spoken into existence. The body is inanimate. Then he takes the breath of life, places it inside the man. Mm -hmm. That makes him animate because that is the soul, the intellect, emotion, and will. Mm -hmm. And then he takes the spirit of Adam and places him together, whole, complete, perfect, body, soul, and spirit. First human being. Now, grass, plants are not nefesh organisms. No. Uh, insects are not nefesh organisms. Right. Only the, and I'll call it higher animals, but I'm going to start with a shrew. Mm-hmm. From a shrew to a dinosaur mm-hmm. and humans are all nefesh organisms because animals have a soul, but they don't have a spirit. And okay. that's very explicit in Ecclesiastes. And so they are, they are simply, shall we say, two-part beings. We're three-part beings yeah. because we reflect the triune nature of the God who created us. Yeah. So the death of plants or and, – and, and the Bible doesn't say plants die. Never. No. It, they wither. They desiccate. They dry out. They fade away. Um, yep. Insects cease to exist, but mm. they don't die mm-hmm. because they don't have nefesh. They don't have that nefesh, which, again – if you go back to the original languages and you understand just these few key issues, it becomes so very clear. Now, we only have a couple of moments left. I want to get to uh, a, a couple of other things, but first I want to point out that you've produced a number of videos, uh, probably 20 or— 20, 21 videos that cover 27 subjects because two of them—well, ha- uh, seven of them have two uh, presentations. So. The fact of the matter is we've got these presentations that are available. And we do talk about the gap theory very extensively, that that if the gap theory were true, you're saying God's not omnipotent, he's not omniscient, he's a liar, he doesn't always save a remnant, he doesn't always have a witness, and death of an official organism came before human sin. Hmm. And so this is why these things are simply not acceptable. Right. Uh, those videos now, this is exciting news, y'all, uh, those videos as of uh, about this week 
uh, are beginning to air on Genesis Science Network. And we are very thankful for that. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing those with us. Uh, so check the schedule for Genesis Science Network, GSN, and you can catch some of those um, documentaries and videos playing, which will shed greater insight on some of these issues. Again, we only have about a minute left, but in that last minute, Dr. McMurtry, I just want you to kind of summarize and and explain the importance if there was death of nefesh life prior to human sin prior to human sin then then think about it if death came into the universe prior to human sin then human sin is not the causative agent and the sin of adam didn't bring death into the universe if that is true what then, is then the, the death, all about well then the death of the second adam as yeah. jesus christ is referred to uh-huh. is meaningless wow that's why I say it takes away the power of the cross. So if, if human sin didn't bring death into the universe, then the death of one sinless man on a cross cannot atone for the sins of the world. It's only when you accept a young creation and Adam's sin bringing death into the universe that you can then understand how one sinless man dying on a cross can atone for the sins of the world. So this is an important theological issue to understand, and yet we just don't talk about this in most churches and congregations. And yet, this is sort of the key to understanding. If we don't go back to the very beginning, we will never fully appreciate the blood of our, of our Savior. Not only that, but I might add that when we realize that in the beginning, when God created, what does the New Testament tell us? It tells us that Jesus, the Word that became flesh, was the creator, making all things. That means that Jesus Christ stepped into his, not only is he the creator of the universe, he's also our redeemer. He stepped into time, stepped into history because he is outside of time. He stepped into time because he loves us so much and wants us to have a relationship with him. When I autograph my books, which you also have, uh, when I autograph them, I put Colossians 1.16. Yeah. By him, for him, through him, all things all consist or held together. Yeah that he is the creator. He's the co-creator with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I kind of like to tell people to think about Genesis 1-1 this way, because Elohim is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. That it's the Father's plan. He's the architect. Yeah. And Jesus is the general contractor. He's the overseer of the work. <laughs> and it's the Holy Spirit who accomplishes the work. Yeah. And all three are present at creation. The Spirit was hovering over the water at the same time <laughs> all of this is absolutely. Uh, Elohim being plural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's all spelled out right there. The origin of history. And I sure, certainly am glad because we know by reading God's word what the end of history is. And uh, it looks pretty good for you and me. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. <laughs> McMurtry, for being here today. My pleasure.